So my question to you this morning is, when you got up this morning, what did you expect? What did you expect out of this day? What are your expectations right now? I would suspect that most of us, like myself, when we get up in the morning, expect every day to go just like yesterday did. That's our expectation. Now we all know that every day doesn't go just like yesterday did. Sometimes we are the beneficiaries of marvelous things that we could have never expected. And then sometimes we are the victims of awful things that we could have never expected. I don't know where you are this morning, but most of us probably this morning got up and did what we normally do on Sunday morning to get ready for a day of worship, a day of, of activity. What I normally do on Sunday morning, I get up and I let my dog out. That's the first thing I do. Uh, I get up, let my dog out, because that's important. And then on Sunday morning, I come back and take a shower and get cleaned up. And then I sit down and read a few verses, a few chapters out of the scriptures and spend some time praying, especially when I'm going to preach, I spend some time praying. And when I'm not preaching in a church, I spend time praying for the churches. So most Sundays, I'm praying for you among all the churches of the North Central District that God's manifest presence would be, would be made known here because what we need more than anything else is not to come and hear another lecture what we need is to meet with God, because that's what makes all the difference. And if we go out of this place with no sense of the manifest presence of God, all we've had is words, because the kingdom of God is not just a matter of words, it's a matter of power. And I think the challenge for us today is to be places where the power of God is manifest among us. And if not, it's no wonder that church is just so lackluster. You can only say things creatively so many times, and then they all just sound the same. So that's my Sunday morning routine, and I suggest that you probably have a routine like that, and maybe you're just here thinking, okay, we've got about 40 minutes, and then we'll be done, and then we'll get on with what's next. And I want you to keep that thought in mind for a moment because we're going to look at a man whose life was totally upended by an experience that he had that he could have never expected. And so a series of, of messages was begun last week entitled Forerunner. It's a series about John the Baptist, but we know that John the Baptist's life intertwines so much with Jesus. John the Baptist was the one that was going to come to prepare the way for the Lord. And, and so this morning we want to look at the preparation of the preparers, if you will. Because John didn't just pop onto the scene, did he? He was a human being that was born to real parents in a real geographical situation, and, and we want to learn from that story about John the Baptist this morning. And so, I love the verses in Galatians 4.4 that said, in the fullness of time, when everything was just right, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are born under the law, that we might receive the gift of adoption as his children. What a great story. It's the, it's the story that changes everything in, in people's lives. And I, I trust that we believe that story with all of our hearts 
that it's a story that when people hear it and the Holy Spirit works through it and helps them to see their need of it and they respond to it, destiny can be changed. And not just the destiny of an individual, the destiny of a whole family of individuals can be changed. So last week, Pastor Greg spoke out of Isaiah chapter 40 to talk about the preparation of the world, Uh, that great prophecy from Isaiah. Today, I want to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. We're going to take the time to read the scripture this morning, and uh, that's fairly small. You can follow it there, or you can follow in your Bible, or on your electronic device, however you access the scriptures. But let's read together. I mean, I'll read. You follow along. Let's read the scriptures together. In the time of King Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. He'll be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, because he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to drink wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion, saying, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he's he's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Even as I read that story out loud, it just is an amazing story of of God's intervention in this couple's lives. It certainly was a disruption of their lives, wasn't it? Uh, One commentator said that Elizabeth might have been as old as 60 years old, so it would be a real disruption, a blessing but a disruption, right, to all of a sudden find out you're going to have a baby? At 60, 
But this was God's plan, and it's an amazing plan, as he's preparing the way for the Lord. So I want us to look at three preparations this morning, if you will, three focus focal points of preparation. Number one, the preparations in heaven. First of all, there was a prophecy. What we read in Luke chapter one is in fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi, chapter three and verse one, and chapter four, verses five and six. The preparations for the coming of the Savior had been going on long before we get to the New Testament era. As a matter of fact, our Bible tells us that God was doing something that he planned before the foundation of the world. Now, my human mind cannot comprehend that. You know, if God knew we were going to sin and was making preparations for redemption before the foundation of the world, why did he let it go ahead? That's something for people with uh, greater theological minds than I have to figure out. I just know what the Bible says. And so... God has this plan for restoring the human race. I love the, the image of the broken plate because that's what we all are. We're broken plates. And God has this amazing vision for the restoration of the human race to relationship with him so that we're not those of us who are, were his enemies could now become his friends, but more than becoming his friends, we could be adopted into his family. These rebels from the Garden of Eden who decided to go their own way and do their own thing and be their own God, God says, I will make a way for them to be saved. Saved from themselves, saved from my wrath, saved from all of the consequences of their rebellion. So, 400 years before Luke, before the New Testament era, there was this guy named Malachi who God spoke to and spoke through as he said this in Malachi 3.1, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. And later, God would say to Malachi in chapter four, verses five and six, see, I'll send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day that the Lord comes. Sounds familiar to what Gabriel said to John, doesn't it? That a son would be born to him that would uh, go out in the spirit and power of Elijah. Let me just pause for a second here and say this. Don't ever mistake this. Don't ever forget this. God is always in charge. Herod is king, but God's in charge. Rome is ruling, but God's in charge. We serve a God who is bringing all things to completion according to his purposes. Even in the latter year, in the latter months of 2019, moving into 2020, and the presidential hoopla and all that goes along with it, God is in charge. I don't know what God is doing. I don't know what God's purposes are. I don't know what the outcome will be, but I am confident of this, come what may, God is in charge. If we would move 400 years from now, that would be 
2419. God can see down to 2419 if there is a 2419 on planet Earth. You move back 14, you move back 400 years, that's 1619. God certainly could see what was happening in 2019 and 1619 as God could see it here. So there was a prophecy. Secondly, there was a messenger. Luke 1.19, God sent a messenger. He says, uh, the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Gabriel means either man of God or warrior of God. This archangel, two archangels named in scripture, Gabriel and Michael. Gabriel seems to be one who carries messages for God. He not only comes to uh, Zechariah here in the temple on this occasion, six months later, he's going to show up in Nazareth and talk to a young virgin whose name is Mary, and he's going to give her an announcement of similar kind that's similarly unbelievable in a human point of view, this same person, Gabriel. We see him in the Old Testament where he, so, where he shows up in the book of Daniel and he bears messages from God to Daniel. He comes to declare the word of the Lord. Now, I doubt that many of us here have ever seen a messenger, but I will tell you this, there have been plenty of messengers of God in your life people that bear the word of God to you. I'm not a messenger like Gabriel, but I'm God's messenger this morning. When Pastor Greg stands to speak the word of God here, he's God's messenger to you for that occasion. Pastor Earl is God's messenger to you, as all of the pastors have been, as all of the people that you you hear to hear the word of God. It's not just the word of men. It's the word of of the Lord. Now we do better or lesser at, at, at uh, proclaiming it many times, but it's still there are messengers. And so there's this messenger from God. And thirdly, there's a mission. Gabriel says, I've been, I've been sent to speak to you. I don't know how things work in heaven, but I can maybe with my sanctified imagination think now, God calls Gabriel, hey, Gabriel, it's time. I want you to go down to Jerusalem. I want you to go into the temple. I want you to stand by the altar, and I want to make yourself seen to Zechariah because I've got a word for him that he needs to hear. Now go tell him. I don't know if that's how it went in heaven or not. But the preparation for Gabriel getting to the temple was before Gabriel got to the temple was God sent him to tell Zechariah something. So those are the preparations in heaven. Let's look at the preparations on earth. First of all, in in chapter 1 and verse 5, we see that Zechariah was a priest according to the division of Abijah. I did a little bit of research, didn't have a lot of time to do some research, but did some research that the, that the prophets in those days, or the, the priests in those were divided into divisions, and there were 24 divisions, and one of them was named the division of Abijah, and Zechariah was a priest in that division of the priests of Israel. Norval Geldenheis is a commenter who wrote a commentary on Luke, and this is what he writes. There were thousands of priests at the time, 
And it was arranged that each corps should in turn send a number of priests to the temple for a week to execute their office there. In this particular week, it was the turn of the course of Abijah and Zechariah was one of the priests in that course. That seems pretty happenstance, doesn't it? So, Zechariah on earth was a priest who was a part of this priestly group called the group of Abijah, the, the division of Abijah. And then secondly, on this particular day when Zechariah went to offer incense, he was chosen by lot to offer incense at the time of prayer. Chosen by lot to offer incense at the time of prayer. Listen to what Geldenheis wrote about that. Each day, the lot was cast to assign the various duties of the priests for the day. As there were so many priests, it was not allowed that a priest should burn incense more than once <coughs> Excuse me, in his lifetime. On that particular day, the lot had fallen to Zechariah, and he had to attend to the burning of the incense. The incense offering had to be brought twice a day, early in the morning, and about three in the afternoon. And so this great honor, this great privilege that would only come to a priest once in a, a lifetime fell to Zechariah that day. It was a great honor to do what he was doing. And so that in itself made this day extraordinary. That in itself made this day a day that was totally unexpected to Zechariah. But remember what I asked you to think about earlier? What did you expect when you got up this morning? Zechariah's day was about to get so much better, if you will. Because he goes in to do what he was chosen by Lot to do. And while he's doing it, Gabriel appears to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Gabriel has a word for him. Gabriel has a message for him. Zechariah's day just became totally unexpected. So the third preparation on earth is this message by Gabriel to Zechariah. I don't have time to, take, to, to dwell on the message, but the first thing that the angel says to Zechariah is this, don't be afraid. Angels say that a lot to human beings when human beings see them. Don't be afraid. Why? Because when you see an angel, it's not just some little cherub uh, that's just kind of hovering around. It's this being that scares the bejeebers out of you. I don't know if that's even a word. But it's really scary when an angel of the Lord, at least in the Bible it was, people were overcome with fear. Remember when the angel appeared to the shepherds? Don't be afraid. Fear not. 
For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. There's a lot of don't be afraid when angels show up. And so he, first of all, he says, don't be afraid. And then rapid fire, he's got this message about what God is going to do for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I just want to go down through the, the bullet points, if you will, of, Zach, of, of Gabriel's message. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife will have a son. You are to name him John. He'll be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice at his birth. He'll be great in the Lord's sight. He's never to drink wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He'll be bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He'll go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. He'll turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and he'll turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, and he'll make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And that's a mouthful. I just can imagine Zechariah just kind of going, really? He probably asked what would be a very natural question. How can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? That's a lot to take in. And Zechariah can't believe it. Why do I say he can't believe it? That's not my judgment on him. That's the scripture's judgment on him. And that's what the angel ultimately said to him. Because you didn't believe my word, you're not going to be able to talk until it all comes to pass. And so finally, we want to look at the preparation of the parents or the preparation of the preparers. Because that's what Zechariah and Elizabeth were. This is a message that's just as much focused on Zechariah and Elizabeth as it is on John the Baptist. More will be coming about him in future weeks. But we want to focus on these two people this morning. We, we want to focus because their whole lives were leading to this point. I don't know what you think about your life and all that God has allowed you to experience, but none of it is wasted with God. I love Romans 8.28 because I know it's true. And God will make all things work for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. All things. We are all the composite of everything that's led up to this moment. And God can use what he's allowed to come into your life and what he's allowed to come into my life to make us the people he can use best in the situations where he wants to put us. I'm a farm boy from Illinois. There is no one that would have been more unlikely to be in the role that I find myself in this morning as the district superintendent of the North Central District than me. Backward, shy, introverted, and yet God has brought me to this place today by his grace. And I don't take that for granted. I have no right to be here. And so it is in your life, not just for those of us that call ourselves pastors or clergy. God has allowed things to come to you, some of them wonderful, some of them terrible. 
God can use you. All of your life is leading up to this moment. So let's look at this couple briefly this morning. First of all, it says in 1.6, they were righteous. I don't like the New International Translation. It says they were upright. The literal word is they were dikaios. They were righteous. They were right with God. They were right with their fellow men. Now what does that mean? I think we get an explanation of what it means in some of the verses following. They walked, literally it says they observed in the New International Version, but literally it's that word that we get sometimes in the more literal. They walked, they lived in all of the Lord's commands and regulations or his ordinances. They lived according to all the commands and ordinances of the Lord. They set their hearts to do God's will. Their hearts were set on things above, not on things of the earth. They sought to do what God wanted. They were humble, and they wanted to listen to God, and they wanted to follow God, and they wanted their lives to be uh, useful to God. They weren't like many of the people that Jesus condemned in, 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 in his day. It wasn't like they served God with their lips. They worshiped God with their lips while their hearts were far from him. No, their hearts were alive with a love for God and a devotion to God. And they walked in all the commands and regulations of the Lord. Sad to say that in the church today, we live, in a pl- we live in a time where many times, even in evangelical churches, we live and walk in some of the commands and regulations of the Lord. We're kind of pick and choose. And I think that's why we have so much trouble in the church in the 21st century. That's why we have so much trouble in our world. It's not so much because the world is so worldly. I expect the world to be worldly. It's because inside the church, we're not like Zechariah and Elizabeth. That we take God's word seriously. And we listen to the Lord to do what he says, all of what he says. I've been reading the prophets of the Old Testament in my read the Bible through plan. And there's some stark things where God says, because you won't listen to me, I won't listen to you when you pray. Whoa. That, that, that's heavy duty stuff. But Zechariah and Elizabeth, they weren't like that. You see, if we want to be used by God, we have to be like Zechariah and Elizabeth. We have to be people who set our hearts to do what God says, whether we like it or not. What does it mean for them to be righteous? Number two, they were blameless, though not perfect. So it says in, in, in verse 6, Both of them were upright in the sight of God. Both of them, not just Zechariah, uh, but uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all God's commands and regulations blamelessly. I heard a guy say once, 
There's a difference between faultless and blameless. None of us are faultless. We're all human. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what made Zechariah and Elizabeth different and what makes so many believers different is not that we don't make mistakes and that we don't succumb to temptations at times. It's that we know what to do when we do that. Because keeping all the commands and regulations of the Lord also has to do with what do you do when you stumble? What do you do when you fall? What do you do when you give in to temptation? And there were sacrifices, right? And there were sacrifices, and there were rituals for the Old Testament people. But for those that live on this side of the cross, there's a cross that's taking care of that. And yet, we as believers are called to confess our sins. And if we do, we're, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. And if we say we have not sins, we're liars, and we make God a liar. That's what John says in his gospel. Blameless. The whole reason God called us to be Christians is that we, he called us to be holy and blameless. Oh, shucks, you know, I got a temper. That's just the way I am. That's the way I'm put together. That's the way I'm wound. So you better get used to it because if you cross me, I am gonna let you have it. Not if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, you may struggle with temper, but to be blameless means that whenever that thing flares up, you get before God and say, oh God, please forgive me and deliver me from this thing which so grips me. I don't want to be like that. And that's the way Zechariah and Elizabeth were. Now they weren't perfect though, right? Because Zechariah didn't even believe the word of the Lord when he came from the angel. I love, I love what one commentator said. It's almost like this contrast, you know, um, Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and advanced in years. Here's what Gabriel says. I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. And I have a message for you. But because you didn't believe it, you're going to be silent until it all comes to pass. So they were blameless, though not perfect. They, fourthly, thirdly, they prayed. Righteous people pray. You see what, uh, one of the first things that Gabriel said to Zechariah is, your prayer's been heard. Your prayer's been heard. Has it now? I think, Zechariah, I think Zechariah and Elizabeth were asking for a son. Now, maybe they'd given up praying for a son a long time ago when it became obvious from, natural, from a natural point of view that they weren't going to have any children, so maybe they'd given up praying. But God says to, to them through Gabriel, hey, your prayer's been heard. You're going to have a son. Elizabeth will bear you a son. And that would be great enough, wouldn't it? And then this whole litany of the things that this son would do is more than they could have ever imagined. This boy that would be born to them would go before the Lord to prepare his way. 
What an amazing gift of God to this righteous couple. But they prayed. So let me ask you this morning, as I ask myself, this is one of the things the Lord is working on perhaps most, most urgently in my own life. How's your prayer life? How much time do you spend before the Lord privately in prayer? If you want to be used of God, God will not use prayerless people for the most part, if at all. And how much time do you all spend praying corporately? Because I don't think God will bless prayerless churches with anything that's extraordinary. You know the hardest meeting of the week to get people to come to in the modern church? The prayer meeting. Why is that? I think the enemy knows. He knows praying Christians are his defeat. You know, so there are so many things that we need to be doing. Do you pray for the lost? I see, uh, what's the name of the community you're partnering with, Greg? Wildwood. Do you pray for Wildwood before you go out to do the things you do? And you pray, oh God, open doors of a, oh God, turn their hearts to you. Oh God, give us an opportunity to tell them this story. Oh God, take the unchurched of Wildwood and bring them to Beulah. Or do you just go out and do what you do? And I'm not just being, I'm not just picking on you, but that could be multiplied in many churches across the North Central. Just we are, we are a great group of churches. I think a lot of what we do, we do in our own strength, though. I, I read some guys like Leonard Ravenhill and, and uh, Samuel Chadwick and and E.M. Bounds, guys that wrote at the beginning part of the 20th century. And I say, oh God, I've never prayed like I ought. Teach me how to pray, Lord. Teach me to pray. Teach me what it means to pray without ceasing. They prayed. They prayed. And finally, they were attentive to the things of the Lord. He said, where do you find that? Well, maybe this is this is. This is one that you might be able to put like a little star by and say this might be a Joe thought rather than a biblical thought. Sometimes that creeps in. But notice what it says in verse 24 and 25. So they went home. Elizabeth becomes pregnant and she stays in seclusion for five months saying the Lord has done this for me. In these days he's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And one commentator asked this question, why did she stay in seclusion for five months? He said, I don't necessarily just think it was because she was an older lady that got pregnant because when in her pregnancy would it be least obvious that she's pregnant? In those first months, right? He says, I think she was just savoring what God had done in her life. The Lord has done this for me. He's shown his favor and he's taken away my disgrace. 
I think she was so overwhelmed by the work of the Lord in her life that she just took some time to ponder these things in her heart. That's something that's said about Mary, isn't it? She just took time to ponder these things in her heart. I don't know. I do think, though, that regardless of whether it's that verse or whatever, they were just attentive to the things of the Lord. And then, lastly, they prepared the preparer. How do you think John the Baptist got to be who he was? He had two godly parents who reminded him of who he was, who reminded him of what God had said about him, who reminded him about not drinking wine and fermented beverages, who reminded him that he would be the one to go before the Messiah to prepare the way for the Lord who reminded them, he reminded him to walk in all the ways of the Lord and to keep all his commands and all his regulations. Because that's certainly when John came on the scene, that's exactly what he's preparing because he's preaching and people are coming to repentance because of what he's saying. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he made a difference. What a responsibility and what a privilege. If you're here this morning and you have children and grandchildren, you have a a preparatory role. I love what Chuck Swindoll says, it's never too late to start doing what's right, regardless of how it's been. God is not someone who's bound by how it's been. He's a God of what can be. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have any children, but you're a preparer because we're all called to be witnesses. We're all called to help people move from unbelief to belief to mature belief to reproducing belief. We're called to be mentors, disciplers, so that All of us can have offspring regardless of our age or regardless of our marital status. What if if the greatest legacy you will leave to the world is your offspring? Whether it's spiritual or biological. It won't make any difference what kind of awards you've won or what kind of degrees you've got or how much money you have in the bank or, or, but what's your legacy when it comes to the people who you've influenced for the sake of the gospel? Zechariah and Elizabeth's legacy was John the Baptist. He didn't have a very long ministry. His ministry was shorter than Jesus. His end was not very uh, nice. But he walked in all the ways of the Lord. I was just thinking about this this morning as I'm watching two pastor's children serving your church And I was thinking about their dad and the things that he's experienced in life and ministry and yet 
four children that love the Lord and are serving him and following him. And that's a great legacy. Who knows how that multiplies? Because the truth of the gospel is this, right? When someone comes to know Jesus, you don't just change a person. You can change a generation. So let me pray for you this morning. Maybe you're here and say, Pastor Joe, I'm not walking in all the ways of the Lord. I don't pray. I don't mind the things of God. My heart is too distracted. And as I'm praying, you may just want to, you may just want to pause and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me. Help me to be what Pastor Joe talked about this morning. Help me to be someone who's a preparer of preparers. John the Baptist has lived and died, and so have Zacharias and Elizabeth, but we're here, and this is our time to do the work God is calling us to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we cannot do this alone apart from you, Jesus. We can do nothing. We need you. We confess to you our weariness. We confess to you our faults. We confess to you that we get distracted and we get off course. We confess to you, Lord, that sometimes we pick and choose from your word what we're going to obey and what we're not. And oh God, I just pray that by your Holy Spirit you would convict us. to be people who walk in all your commands and all your regulations blamelessly. That you would convict us to be people of prayer. That you would convict us to be people who mind and who are attentive to your thing, to your ways, O oh Lord. And we pray that you will do great things in Beulah Church. We pray, Lord, that as your spirit settles in upon this congregation and as you get a hold of them in fresh ways, as you begin to work in individuals' lives, that what transpires here would be anything but what we expected, just like that day was for Zechariah. I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus this morning. And all God's people said, amen. amen. May God help us to live like that.